It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome to a new episode of Talking France, a podcast by The Local. In this week's episode, we will do, as our name promises, talk about France. In roughly 30 minutes, we'll bring you up to date with the main news stories and try to answer some of the big issues and questions our listeners have about the country. To start with, is it wise to come to France right now, given there have been numerous bomb alerts, airports and evacuations at tourist sites? We'll tell you about a new museum of the French language that's opened in a place in northern France that I've never heard of. We'll also examine whether one French senator's plan to make the lives of second homeowners in the country easier could really work and explain just how easy or difficult it is for people to retire in France these days. And finally, can you really be deported from France for joining a protest? To answer all these questions, I'll call on the help of two very special individuals. They are the local France's Emma Pearson and Jen Mansfield. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us again. Right. We've lost count of the number of times airports in France have been evacuated in recent days. It began last week with news that airports around France, such as Nantes, Lyon, Paris, Beauvais and Toulouse, had received bomb alerts forcing the evacuation of the airports and, of course, delays to scores of flights, and they have continued to happen. Emma, what do we know about these bomb alerts? Yeah, we've had a a crazy few days, really, when dozens of French airports per day were getting evacuated due to security alerts and bomb threats. And at first, it seemed like this was just a case of kind of general jumpiness in France due to the heightened terror alert after last Friday's attack in a school. But it's kind of become apparent that this is more of an organised campaign. So it started last Wednesday. 15 airports were evacuated and 130 flights were cancelled. And it kind of continued into Thursday and Friday when dozens of airports each day were evacuated and again this week. And in almost all cases, the evacuation happened after the airports received an email saying there was a bomb on the premises. France's transport minister later revealed that 70 email bomb threats had been sent to French airports within three days and that some airports, including Bordeaux and Toulouse, had been targeted repeatedly. Now, almost all of these threats have now been traced to an email address in Switzerland, of all places, and an international police inquiry is ongoing. Indeed. Now, these alerts are obviously being taken seriously in France because there is a heightened terror alert following the deadly knife attack on a teacher in Arras in northern France. And obviously, because of the conflict in the Middle East, authorities have opened up over 60 different investigations into the false bomb threats. How has this affected travel, Emma? What what do people need to expect if they're coming to France? Well, this is the first week of the autumn holidays, uh, autumn school holidays in France and in many parts of the UK, in fact. Uh, So there are more people travelling than normal. But in general... Things seem to be running mostly okay. Touch wood, I hope I haven't jinxed that. We have still had a few evacuations at airports, but they are mostly quite short, just like sort of half an hour out. So it's not really causing major flight disruption. There have also been some evacuations at train stations, including Marseille, which is mostly due to lost baggage. And several tourist sites have also been the subject of bomb hoaxes, uh, specifically the Palace of Versailles, which has been evacuated seven times in under a week. At least one of those threats at Versailles was traced to a 37-year-old local man who reportedly had mental health difficulties. He's now been given a suspended prison sentence, but police are still trying to trace multiple other hoax calls. But as I said, at the moment, it does seem like most of the transport services are running okay. If you're in France, you will certainly notice the heightened security presence in the cities, including those soldiers that we talked about last week. 
And if you're coming to Paris this weekend for the Rugby World Cup final, there will definitely be tight security at Stade de France. So my advice would be to arrive in plenty of time to get through all of the security checks so that you don't miss kickoff and maybe have time to buy a beer first. Thanks, Emma. And if you want to know more about these alerts and what to expect when coming to France, we've got articles on our website at thelocal.fr. The town of Villers-Cotterets, I think I've pronounced that correctly, isn't exactly well known in France. Uh, have either of you two heard of it before, be honest? No, nope. nope. never. I never okay. heard of it. The reason it's in the news is that it's home to a, a new museum totally dedicated to the French language. The museum is based in the town's chateau. Jen, you can tell us more about it. Yes. So starting on November 1st, you can go visit the chateau and learn all about the French language, its evolution and the ways it's crisscrossed with other languages over the years. The first exhibit is going to be called the L'Aventure du Français, the Adventure of French. And it's going to explore the language's history, how and where it is used today, plus expressions and some iconic songs that have shaped it. And the goal is for the museum to be really interactive. So there are going to be 15 different rooms with over 150 items on display. These are going to be works of art or historic documents, plus at least 50 visual and sound exhibits too. Okay, this chateau of Villers-Cotterets is uh, kind of between Paris and the town of Reims, I think I pronounced that right, in northern France. Now, Jen, why have they picked this chateau? It doesn't sound like the obvious place to have this kind of museum. Well, that's because the chateau itself has actually been involved in a lot of pivotal moments for the French language. So it's actually the location where the French king, Francois I, signed an edict establishing French, not Latin, as the administrative language for the kingdom in 1539. And then back in the 1500s, there were a lot of other important things that happened. So the poet Francois Rabelais also stayed there. And it's also where Molière first presented his play Tartuffe. And then later on, the novelist Alexandre Dumas was actually born in the town of Villers-Cotterets. So yeah, it's pretty important when it comes to the history of the French language in France. And the goal is for the site to continue to be important for Le Français. So the French government is already planning to host the 2024 Francophonie Summit there, according to the Élysée. And yeah, so it's not too far from Paris if you want to visit. It's about 70 kilometers to the northeast of Paris, so you'd have to take a TER train or a car to get there. Um, but it's not terribly far. You could do it. Really interesting. Sounds like it's really worth a visit, Jen. Uh, Emma, you are a vulture when it comes to culture. Any recommendations for listeners? Uh, yeah, actually, at the moment, two famous dead men are getting their own either museum or exhibitions, and both of them are in Paris. So the first is the French singer Serge Gainsbourg. I've heard of him. Yes. Do you want to sing a bit of his best known hit? Uh, no, you might have to help me out here. Uh, Je t'aime moi non plus. I'm not going to sing it, okay. um, especially the sexy bits. But yes, his former home on the left bank of Paris has been opened up as a museum. It's been sitting empty ever since he died in 1991. And it's apparently a time capsule as it's pretty much exactly where he left it. Apparently even down to the cigarette butts in the ashtrays, which sounds kind of disgusting to me, but whatever. Mm. His daughter, Charlotte Gainsbourg, who is a really well-known singer and actress in France, she's behind the project and she says uh, she hopes that seeing the house where he lived and worked give people a new perspective on his songs. Right. That's open now if you want to go uh, go visit. The other person is Oscar Wilde, not French, of course, but died in Paris after fleeing the UK when the Brits did something horrible to him. Sorry about that. He died aged only 46 in a little hotel on the left bank. When he was there, it was a really cheap and down market place because he was broke. And he was famously horrified by the wallpaper. Um, his sort of last bon mot before he died was reportedly, either the wallpaper has to go or I do, and I fear it shall be me. Mm. Anyway, these 
days, as with most things on the left bank, it's had a makeover and it's gone up market. It's still a hotel, but now a room there will set you back at least 400 euro a night, more like 800 if you're there wow. at the weekends. But the reason that we're talking about it is that a few artists have put together a little exhibition paying tribute to Wilde, and it's being held in the hotel itself. Unfortunately, though, it's only a short duration. It's just available till Sunday. All right, sounds really worth it. If you're into Oscar Wilde, now some of our listeners might, of course, miss that deadline, um, but they can go to his grave. Yes, absolutely. Uh, he's buried in uh, Pellechet's Cemetery in eastern Paris, one of my favourite places in the city for a walk. And his tomb also provides what I think is probably the second best story from the famous cemetery. Go on. Well, if you go there, you'll see that his grave has a really unusual and quite magnificent marker on it. It's a big square block of stone with a modernist carving of a sphinx on it. It's really cool. But apparently in its original form, the sphinx was equipped with a pair of testicles that were quite noticeably large and were shocking to many people when it was first inaugurated How large in 1914. are we talking, <laughs> Potato sizes? More like a Satsuma, I think. Satsuma, but, right, um, okay. Or a Clementine. Clementine, yeah. Yeah. But in 1961, the Sphinx was vandalised and the testicles were snapped off. Um, the story Ow. goes that it was by an English lady visitor who was offended by the testicles. Right. But for many years, there was a rumour that the broken-off testicles had been found by cemetery workers and that the director of Pellechet's kept them on his desk and used them as paperweight. But unfortunately, the current cemetery director, Ben uh, he gave an interview to the British newspaper The Guardian last year and he's finally laid it to rest and he said, no, I don't have those precious stone testicles on my desk. So we have no idea where these stone testicles Nobody are. Nobody knows where the testicles are. It's the great mystery. Wow, we need to get onto this. Fantastic stuff. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Jen. Now, of all the politicians in France, the senator Madame Corinne Ambert from Charente Maritime might not be the first one that comes to mind. But if you are a second homeowner in France, as we know many listeners are, you might want to know a little more about her because she has the goal of making the lives of second homeowners a bit easier. Jen, tell us more. Yeah, so Senator Corinne Ambert and a few of her other colleagues have been in the news recently because she wants to introduce an amendment to France's upcoming immigration bill. And basically, she wants to create a special visa for second homeowners. Her proposal is that a five-year visa for non-EU citizens, so that would mean Brits, Americans, Australians, basically anyone owning property in France, would be able to come and visit for six months out of the year. So in that sense, it's not super different from the current short-stay visitor visa, which allows you to come for six months at a time. But this visa would be, would span over a period of five years. So basically, the change would be that you wouldn't have to renew the short-stay visa every year. Now, before we get into more of the specifics, we should start by saying that as of recording, an amendment still had not been put forward on this topic. So basically, we're just going over information that has already been made public in the press. Mm. Jen, I'm interested in her motivation to do this and, and of the other senators, of course. Why do they want to do this? Well, it's basically because in the aftermath of Brexit, there have been a lot of calls for a specific visa or some sort of exemption for British second homeowners to be able to spend more than just 90 days out of every 180 days at their property in France. And Senator Ambert said in an interview with 42 Mag, um, which is the French media, that creating a new five-year visa, one that applies to all foreigners, so not just Brits, would be more likely to be considered. She told 42 Mag that she had submitted an amendment earlier this year, but the immigration bill had been dropped. So as of May, she was planning on submitting the amendment again in the new version of the bill, which is set to be debated in the Senate early November. Now, she's not the only French senator who would be in favor of 
more flexible rules for second homeowners. 42 Mag also reported that some other senators from the Département of Savoie, De Sèvres, Charente, Manche, and the Lot, and the Lot, uh, were all in favor of a new, of this new five-year visa for property owners. And it's notable that these are areas that represent places that are quite popular with second homeowners and do have relatively large populations of them. But only time is going to tell as to whether or not this new visa plan actually ends up being added into the immigration bill and what it would finally end up looking like after that's been debated in Parliament. Mm, Emma, this could potentially be big news for second homeowners. We know that this kind of 90-day rule is very important to them about how much time they get to spend at their homes in France, even if this amendment gets added, there is no guarantee it will become law. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So she's a senator. French senators have the power to add amendments to government bills. But the final decision on any new law is taken in the Assemblée Nationale, the lower house of parliament. So if the Assembly doesn't like a senator's amendment, they can just toss it out, even if the Senate has approved it. And this does actually happen quite a lot with Senate amendments to bills. Also, I think it's worth mentioning that this amendment is to France's already highly controversial immigration bill, which we've talked about it before and is currently threatening to tear the parliament apart with the right saying it's too soft and the left saying it's too harsh. So I don't know, with politicians convulsed over questions like expelling of radicalised foreigners and regularising undocumented workers in key sections like construction, it might just be that special visas for second homeowners are not really at the top of anyone's priority list right now. But I could be wrong, it could happen, we'll see. Indeed, and we will see, and we'll keep a close eye on it, obviously, so keep an eye on the local.fr for any more stories about this potential amendment and what might happen. One of the reasons so many people choose to retire to France is the quality of life. People often mention the warm weather, the healthy diet, the slower pace of life, and of course, the quality of health care they can receive here. Sure, there are many benefits to retiring in France if you have the opportunity, but first, you need to think about the boring but important things like, well, qualifying for a visa to allow you to come here. And is it actually easy to get one? Emma, you can help answer this question. Well, yeah, I mean, the short answer is that compared to many other European countries, it's not too hard. France is a popular destination to retire to, as you said, and part of that is the relative ease of the process, plus the other things you mentioned and the excellent wine that we have. If you're a non-EU citizen, obviously you will need a visa. And for most people who want to retire and then move, the best option is the visitor visa. And as visas go, this is fairly simple. You need to provide, you know, your standard personal details. You need to provide proof of health insurance. But if you're British, the GHIC card is enough for that. And you also need to provide proof that you can support yourself financially and you won't become a burden to the French state. So like many things in life, it is easier if you have money. But we're not really talking about huge sums here. You need to prove that you have the equivalent of the French minimum wage, the SMIC. And at present, that is €1,747 per month gross. You will therefore need a pension or other income that is equivalent to this amount. And if you don't have a pension or a regular income, you can provide evidence of having a year's worth of minimum wage in savings. Uh, So at the current level, that would be €20,947 in savings. You will also need health insurance for the initial part of your stay in France. But once you've been a resident for three months, you are entitled to register in the public health system and get a carte vitale health card, which means that the state reimburses some or all of your healthcare costs. Although, again, we should say that the application process for the carte vitale usually takes months and sometimes even years. Mm, And we know a lot of people who retire to France kind of have this idea of kind of carrying on working for for the odd day or whatever. What about semi-retiring? 
retiring to France. Is that more complicated? Yeah, unfortunately, that is a bit more tricky. The problem is that if you're a non-EU citizen, you will need a visa. For most retirees, this would be the visitor visa. But part of that process involves giving an undertaking that you won't engage in any professional activity while in France. So it's great for people who want to fully retire, but quite a lot of people maybe just want to do something a bit different. They might want to drop down to part-time work and work remotely or take a totally new direction, embark on a new career or set up a new business or something like that. Pre-Brexit, for example, it was quite common for Brits to retire from their job in the UK and move to France and like run a gîte or a B&B. And the idea being that it's sort of a halfway house to retirement. You know, there's a bit less work than a full-time job, but you've still got some money coming in. Likewise, you might want to give up your job or but do some freelance work remotely or perhaps set up an online business. And unfortunately, these things are quite tricky within the visa system. You have to declare that you won't work if you're in France on a visitor visa. But if you get a working visa instead, you might struggle to meet some of the income requirements if you only intend to work part-time or if you're setting up a new business, for example. So like if you're just renting out a couple of sheets, it's pretty unlikely that you would meet income requirements for the the self-employed entrepreneur visa. If you're talking about working remotely from France for a company in another country, so like a company back home, that's a bit of a grey area, mostly because the visa rules were written before remote working became widespread. But the essential thing is that while you might be able to do sort of the odd project working remotely, regular work could be more difficult. And there are also tax implications, insurance implications that you need to look at carefully. And I'd say that if you're thinking about doing this, it's definitely worth getting legal advice to ensure that you're fully compliant with your visa conditions. Mm. Okay, so let's imagine you've got everything sorted on the practical level. There may still be some obstacles to overcome to ensure retirement in France lives up to the dream. More on the emotional side, perhaps. You know, Whilst for most retirees, the move probably fulfills their lifelong ambition. But there's also many stories of people coming to France to retire and for one reason or another, it doesn't quite work out. And they end up heading home. True, Emma? Yeah, true. I feel like I should preface this by saying that I know plenty of people who've retired to France and are loving life. So I'm not trying to put people off, but I think there are some things to think about before you make the move. And I think for people for whom retiring to France doesn't work out, the biggest reason is usually just an expectation gap. People might have visited before and imagine that life as a retiree is just one big holiday, but living in a place is very different to visiting it. Okay, now look, the best thing we can do is probably share some advice based on the experiences of those who have been through the process. Emma, one of the first things people recommend is making sure they actually spend time, plenty of time, in the place they intend to retire to. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and especially if you want to live in the countryside, I would really recommend visiting in both the summer and the winter and just see whether you still like it. Because a lot of sort of seasonal places, restaurants, bars and even shops close down in the winter. Often the second homeowners don't visit in the winter. So you might find yourself quite bored and isolated if everything mm. shuts down in the winter. So check it out in both seasons, I would say. Okay, look, and health is a big factor for retirees. And declining health can impact ability to carry out everyday tasks that you need for, for life in France. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, mean, I know nobody really wants to think about getting elderly and infirm, but I think probably you should. So, for example, if you plan to live in the country, think about whether you'll need a car and then think about what happens if the day comes when you can no longer drive. Will you be able to manage daily life, shopping, doctor's appointments, that kind of thing? And also think about, you know, declining health. So, for example, if you're looking at a, a lovely fourth floor apartment in Paris with no lift, will you be able to manage the stairs in a few years. It's just things like that that you maybe need to think about. And one of the themes that often comes up when people talk about the struggles of retiring to France is loneliness, Emma. Being away from the circle of friends and family 
can come as a kind of big shock to some. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is particularly an issue for retirees because like, if you move to France to work or to be with a partner, you have at least the beginnings of a network. But it can be hard when you're retired. It's not impossible, of course. You know, there are plenty of groups dedicated to helping new arrivals make friends. But I think if you're deciding on a place to live, it's worth just having a look around and asking yourself who your friends will be and, you know, who you're going to have a drink with in the evening. And of course, this last factor is not just important for retirees being able to settle in France. It's important basically for all new arrivals. But perhaps it's understandably it's trickier for elderly people to master. I'm, of course, talking about the language, Emma. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of related to making friends, really. Obviously, there'll be a lot more potential friends if you can speak to French people. It is possible to live in France without speaking French. And there's no doubt that, you know, the odd expat bubbles do exist. But I think they're a lot less common than they are in Spain, for example. And I think most people who move to France also want to learn French and explore the local culture and integrate. Yeah, some people say it's harder learning a new language when you're older. But I mean, the plus side of being retired is that you've got lots of time to dedicate to, to language learning. And the good news is you can find all sorts of help. You know, there might be classes at the Mairie or the library, language exchange groups, or you can even just like form your own conversation group with some French friends and neighbours. That, In my experience, French people are usually like pretty happy to help if you're generally trying to make an effort to speak their language. Yeah, now you mentioned this kind of difference between uh, expectation and the reality that often retirees find in France. I remember one American couple last year who did an interview with a, a US newspaper saying that they were leaving Paris because basically it turned into a night nightmare. They blamed perceived French haughtiness, language difficulties, homesickness, the challenges of walking upstairs in a Paris apartment that you mentioned, Emma, and they even blamed some very bad French onion soup. But basically, they just didn't speak French and didn't have uh, the appreciation of what life in Paris would be like before they came. They hadn't really planned it, had they? No, no. I mean, they, they were kind of an extreme example. And like, I think a lot of people like kind of laughed at them a bit, but I felt a bit sorry for them, really. But they were just dramatically underprepared. Mm. But one thing I did notice from their story is that they had a YouTube channel and they were just posting endless Our Life in Paris is So Wonderful type videos. Mm. Now, obviously, most people don't have their own YouTube channel, but I think also there is sometimes a pressure to kind of keep up this image of your new life in France being perfect. But I mean, the reality is there are bad things wherever you live and you're going to have low days where everything just feels a bit crap and it's raining and struggling with a French admin task. So I think it's just about being prepared for that mentally. Very good advice. You don't really see people posting on social media about how crap their life has become, do you? <laughs> Not really, no, but... <laughs> but they do exist, yeah. Great advice, Emma, for anyone wishing to retire to France. Now, recently, an American influencer in Paris published a video that, as of earlier this week, had almost 200,000 views. She said that she cannot voice her stance on the conflict in Israel-Palestine for fear of being deported or denied French citizenship. Jen, is this true? Can you be deported from France or even denied French citizenship for going to a protest? Well, it's a bit more complicated than that. To be fair, the influencer Amanda Rollins said in her video that she's currently applying for citizenship, so she's probably wanting to be like extra careful right now. But the short answer is no, you're not going to get deported for simply attending a pro-Palestine protest, for example. This is a real oversimplification of how deportation works in France. So in France, there are two terms that have to do with being forced out of the country. The first is deportation, and this applies to foreigners who are already legally in France. And then the the second one is expulsion. And this is a separate process and it applies to foreigners who are in France illegally. And to be expelled or expulsé, you have to be both a foreign national who's illegally in France and you also have to represent a serious threat to public order. So usually this procedure is reserved for terror suspects. 
To be deported, on the other hand, you're going to get this thing called an OQTF. That's basically an order to leave France. And in the vast majority of cases, that's a form. It's going to give you 30 days to leave from when you receive it. And there is a legal recourse for this. And as long as you're contesting it, you can remain in France. And most of the time, OQTFs are actually given out to people that have committed a serious crime or they've committed an immigration offense, such as overstaying their visa. Okay, so where has Amanda got this idea from that foreigners could be deported for going to a protest? Well, I think this has a lot to do with just the general political climate in France right now. So basically, after Hamas's attack on Israel, the French government decided to ban any pro-Palestine protests. And Macron defended the ban last week uh, when he was talking to a group of young people. According to AFP, he said the ban was put into place because there needed to be, quote, a period of decency. There had been a terrorist attack. It wasn't good, unquote. Some rights groups challenged this, but ultimately France's Conseil d'État ruled that local authorities can continue to ban pro-Palestine protests, but on a case-to-case basis, so based on possible security risks. For example, the city of Paris actually has approved two pro-Palestine protests since then. The Interior Minister Gérald Darmanin has also been very outspoken about wanting to expel foreign perpetrators of anti-Semitic acts and radicalized foreigners, and that these people would have their residency permits immediately withdrawn. So there's definitely a heightened sense of fear in general. And I think that has just sort of trickled down. Okay, thanks, Jen. I feel as though I've heard the name of this influencer before, though. She's got history. Yeah, you've probably heard of Buttergate. Okay. (laughs) So Amanda Rollins actually went viral a couple of weeks ago because she posted a video while she was making a sandwich. In her own words, she said that French people do something very weird with sandwiches that I think you guys would find strange. And the weird thing was putting butter on sandwiches. It ended up becoming quite the moment on social media. Everyone was either like poking fun at her for calling something very normal strange, uh, or they agreed with her. Personally, I grew up with butter on all of my sandwiches in the U.S., so I was a bit uh, surprised by her generalization that Americans don't use butter. I would say clearly she has not visited the state of Wisconsin. Right, okay. Do you put butter on your sandwiches? Is that, uh, is that yes, a strange yeah. thing to do? That's completely normal. But also I think French has France has one of my favourite sandwiches is the jambon beurre, which like a good Indeed, jambon yeah. beurre is just classic, you yeah. know. Fresh fresh French bread, a good slathering of uh, a butter, nice ham, sometimes some little cornichons to taste. It's simple but delicious. Yeah, I agree totally. No problem with butter on, on sandwiches at all. Emma, you got an influencer story? Oh, uh, yeah. It's, uh, still my favourite uh, is the American influencer Jill Zarin. She filmed herself arriving in Paris with a whole suitcase containing nothing but Diet Coke because she said you can't get it in Europe. Um, obviously, yeah. as we talked about last week, you can get Diet Coke in Europe, but uh, it's usually called Coca-Cola Light, not Diet. And some Americans say it tastes slightly different, that the sweetener levels are a little bit lower in Europe. But you absolutely can get Diet Coke here. There's no need to bring a suitcase full of it. Indeed. Now, all this chat of Americans and France brings us nicely onto Halloween. Now, Halloween, has it taken off in France? This is obviously kind of a, a big thing in America. Jen, are you happy with Halloween in France? Well, I would say that I'm always the most homesick during the autumn and right around Halloween in France. And I think that has to do with the fact that it's really just not as big here. It's going to be hard to find candy corn, for example. You probably won't. Hard to find what? Candy corn. It's like the essential Halloween snack. Candy corn, right? (laughs) Yeah, you'll be able to find French bonbon, but they're not the same. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I would say in general, it's just not as big here. It's not as much of a cultural moment. I mean, you'll see some decorations in shops and you might see some kids trick-or-treating probably in the countryside. Uh, Probably not in cities because most people live in apartments. Mm. So yeah, I would definitely temper your expectations. Halloween's not as as 
month okay. long of an experience in France. But there are some places if you want to celebrate Halloween and really go all out where you could go. Like you could go, for example, to Disneyland Paris or Parc Asterix. They always put on a really good Halloween night event. Mm. Look, I mean, I have kids. I was last year, I was surprised by how much people were into it. We were out in the suburbs of Paris and there were loads of trick-or-treaters going around, kids dressed up, you know, going around with their parents. There was houses decorated with, you know, scary ghosts and ghouls and witches. Uh, Emma, it was near where you lived. Have you been accosted by any scary people over Halloween? Uh, well, I'm frequently accosted by scary people, but that's nothing to do with Halloween. That's in the office. But actually, I was walking home last night, in fact, and some little kid in a um, skeleton costume came up to me in the suburb where I live with his little bucket and was like, Bonbon, madame? And I'm like, you're a week early, kid. Get lost. Wow, also, I don't walk around with bonbons, so I wasn't really able to help him. Did you really tell him to get lost? No, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, neither of you two were here in the uh, autumn of 2014, were you? No. This is when things got really scary in France. It was terrifying. <laughs> there was a huge hysteria, I think caused by like one or two people dressing up as scary clowns, arming themselves. And it was, of course, like an internet craze and it went round. And then uh, vigilantes were going out looking for scary clowns and the police had to issue kind of nationwide <laughs> warnings. Quite a few number of arrests were made, you know, kids going around in baseball bats looking for scary clowns. I think there was actually one report of an actual clown who might have scared one person. But as the French police were really mad at the internet back in 2014, but um, there was a real hysteria in the country. It seems to have died down. It's probably just a one year craze. But um, do you not remember that? I've not seen any scary clowns. <laughs> we, we, had a, we had a similar craze in the US, but it was in 2016. So maybe it was copied by the French one. Look, the best thing for me about Halloween in France is, of course, the following day. November the 1st is a public holiday. Do we know why it's a public holiday? Well, it's a religious holiday. It's All Saints Day. So that's a key date in the Catholic calendar. And it's not just France. Quite a lot of European countries get the day off. Austria, Italy, Spain, mm. some parts of Switzerland and Germany. It's kind of not as much of a big thing as it is in Mexico, of course, where the Day of the Dead is huge. In France, nothing really mm. happens apart from a day off, which is nice. I think some people like go to cemeteries and lay mm. flowers on the graves of loved ones on November 1st. Some people might go to church, but it's really not like a big no. festival event. But it does mean that you can have your Halloween party on actual Halloween night and then have a day off with your hangover. So that's nice. Exactly. Okay. And uh, it also means that this podcast will be taking a week off next week. We'll be back on November the 9th with the new series of Talking France. Thanks to everybody who's tuned in during this latest series. Thanks to all you listeners. Remember all the stuff we talk about, all the important talking points. You can find many more articles on our website at thelocal.fr. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Jen. And we'll be back soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.